We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday, June 29th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, well, just a little bit later, long, later, long, ooh, later on in this segment, we're going to talk to Liz Rotenberry from the Elizabeth Dole Foundation about a couple of very cool programs that they have. A little mini interview in preview of a longer interview that we're going to air with Liz coming up on Monday. We are also going to speak to Carlos Fuentes, legislative director from the VFW, a busy time on Capitol Hill for a number of reasons. We got the VA secretary confirmation hearing just happened two days ago. We have big pieces of legislation on things like burn pits and blue water navy going through there's a lot going on over there and carlos fuentes is a part of it he's taking part in it for example he was over at that secretary of the va confirmation hearing and he's doing a lot more for the vfw we're going to welcome carlos back to the studio in a little bit also later in the show we're going to be joined by well one of the biggest voices in veteran reporting maybe the biggest voice in veteran reporting with our wonderful team here, you know, being <laughs> being given all of the props that they deserve. Leo Shane over at Military Times has been covering the veteran beat for a long time, working at Military Times. Before that, it's Stars and Stripes. We're going to have him in here to talk about the latest and greatest veteran news that he's covering and also how he got into this particular job field and why he's so good at it. We're going to talk to Leo later on and we're going to replay our interview with Chef Rush. Yeah, by popular demand. He's the White House chef, an Army retiree with 24-inch biceps. You can also go to ConnectingVets.com's Facebook page to see a little video that he and I did. You know, two guys who are uh, very muscular just hanging out talking about fitness uh, on a video. We basically look like... uh, you know, twins that were separated at birth, myself and Chef Rush. So we're going to play that one for you coming up in a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a great Friday show heading into a not a long weekend, a regular weekend that heads into a short week, I guess. Jake, are you looking forward to the 4th of July? Yes, I am. What are you doing for the 4th of July? Not a thing. There you go. I'm going to sit at home. I'm going to go to the roof of my apartment building and watch some fireworks and... uh, just sort of enjoy life. Are you close enough to D.C. to see the like national fireworks? Or are you going to be seeing? Yeah. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. That's pretty cool. I'm not, uh, and we're not even going to be in the area. We're headed up to Connecticut, um, where my family is from. And, of course, you know, being the child of divorced parents, it makes holidays more difficult. The good thing about the 4th of July um, is that my dad has a place in one town, and then my aunt and uncle have a place just one town over, and there's the two <laughs> sides of my family have Fourth of July things <laughs> like a couple miles from each other. So we'll go up there, um, you know, visit with uh, Fourth of July. We'll go over, spend the day over with my mom's family, come back, watch the fireworks with my dad's family, and then uh, we'll spend the next few days with my dad and stepmom out there at uh, their place on the beach in Saybrook, Connecticut, and uh, one of my favorite places in the world, that Connecticut shoreline. It's just beautiful. Fourth of July is the perfect time. Everybody's enjoying Ooh, excuse me. I just had a hiccup. Uh, everybody's enjoying it, although this year, not as much. 
Really? Like I had to put in for, I had to use uh, you know, vacation days essentially for Thursday and Friday. Having the 4th of July on a Wednesday stinks, man. Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, you can't, if, if you have to go to work the next day, you can't party it up on Wednesday. Or you could call out sick the next day, I suppose. But uh, I don't do that. I, I think in the year we've been here, I think I've missed one day from illness. And that was like, woke up and, <laughs> and messaged you at 4 a.m. like, hey, uh, you'll be doing the show this morning because uh, <laughs> I'm not in any condition to. I, I don't like to do that. But the Wednesday thing, it's it's difficult. So like for me... Uh, along with doing the morning briefing, I host CBS Eye on Veterans, which is a, a weekend show that's syndicated on uh, 30 plus stations around the country. So my work schedule is essentially Monday through Wednesday. I'm doing this show very early in the morning. Then as soon as I'm done with that, I go over and produce that show. Those three days are the days that I spend putting that show together and doing everything that needs to be done for it. So next week, I can't even do that. Fourth of July is on a Wednesday. So it's it's messing with people's work schedules, too. You know, if you have a weekly Wednesday deadline like I do, I got to get everything done by Tuesday now, I guess. They still haven't told us what the deadline is. That would be nice to know. But anyway, uh, it, it's it's just it's a pain, man. I'm not happy about the Fourth of July being on a Wednesday. Yeah, and I feel we should point out at this point that you may have garnered this from what Eric said, but... As much as we love all you people out there in digital radio land, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, neither of us will be here. Yes, so you'll be hearing a best of. Yep, best of and podcasts from Phil Briggs and all sorts of good stuff. So from Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, uh, Jake and I are both uh, going to enjoy our little summer break. And then I have a vacation coming up later on in July. So there's a week that Jake is going to be doing the show. And uh, yeah, there's uh, you know it's summertime. That's when I like to take a week during the summer. And then I also, and it'll be up at the Connecticut shore again, and then a week during the winter to go someplace warm when it's cold. Although last year we didn't. My wife and I were talking about this. We haven't gone on like a real vacation vacation in quite a while. Quite a while. We like going out of the country, finding out of the way places. We're not the resort type. We're like, find a tiny island that people go to where the electricity is only on like at night, like during the day. You can't, you don't have electricity. That's the kind of place we like to go to. Uh, and we need to do that again this well, winter. I think. By that standards, I've only ever been, well, discounting like as a little kid, a trip to Disney World, I've been on one vacation in my adult life. Hmm. And that was when I took a cruise right after I uh, left the military. There you go. Well, I, I we like to, uh, my wife is great at finding these out-of-the-way places. Like when we went to Costa Rica, there are a lot of people who go to the resort towns on the coasts or the capital city and stay in a, you know, a big hotel and find the hotel that they're used to from the States. My wife, like when we went to Costa Rica, we got there. Uh, New Year's Eve, we were supposed to get there the day before, but uh, the airline, who shall remain nameless, because I don't even like saying their name anymore, but uh, rhymes with uh, hear it, and we went down there, got there a day late, didn't know if we were going to get there at all, thanks to them, and stayed at this hotel where everything in the hotel was a piece of art. It was an art hotel made by an artist, just very odd design, very unique place, did that. Then we went and stayed at a, uh, a hotel up in the rainforest, up on the side of a volcano. And then from there, we went down to the beach. So we got to see the volcanoes, the city, and the beach. It was fantastic. And then there's places like Little Corn Island, where you have to fly from here. We flew from New York to uh, El Salvador, from El Salvador to Honduras, then within Honduras, you had to take like a medium-sized plane over this little town on the coast. And then from there, you had to take a little plane over to Big Corn Island. And then from Big Corn Island, you had to take a basically a motorboat, like just an open sampan motorboat to Little Corn Island. And that's a place where 
electricity is only on when the sun is down. Essentially, you can't you can't like uh, hop on your uh, laptop in the middle of the day unless it's already charged. Also, very few places with Wi-Fi there because again, unless you have a generator, you're not doing that. But it was a great place, and it was a way to get away from it all and just kind of relax. Did a lot of reading. That's what I like to do with vacations. Um, and this is going to be like a mini one next week. Where thankfully we have some comp days for work and weekends that I was able to uh, to use to yeah. to cover that. See, I'm <laughs> maybe this I'm a 21st century digital boy here, but I like my amenities. I don't like being off in the middle of nowhere with no electricity and no Wi-Fi. I like having the internet. I like my ideal vacation. Honestly, is. <laughs> <laughs> this is sad. I, I, I get the feeling it's going to be. Just, just sitting on my couch already. for like a week and just yeah, gaming. That is pretty sad. But Yeah, I'm pathetic. I've, I've been there before, but let me ask you this. You say being out in the middle of nowhere is not what you want to do for a vacation. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever gone to a place where there's, for a vacation, where there's no Wi-Fi, you're just kind of like separated from uh, civilization a little bit? Have you ever actually done that? Yes, actually. Okay. My aunt and uncle have a farm up in Brenham, Texas yeah. that uh, we've gone to several times. They don't have any Wi-Fi up there. And so, and it is really cool to be out there and go out to one of the fields in the middle of the night and look up and you see stars oh, yeah. that you never thought existed. Same thing in like Little Corn Island. There's no pollution there. There's not even electricity during the day. And it's, it's a fascinating place. But I think if you, particularly if you leave the country and you go to someplace that's new, that you know very little about, that you've maybe read a little bit about and done some basic research and are able to explore and just look around, it's, it, I like it. I, I like being connected to my devices. I like playing my games. I was playing Skyrim last night. We uh, downloaded Skyrim. My son uh, was interested in it. So we've, uh, we've been playing that. One of the greatest games ever made. Um, I love doing all of that stuff, but... There's also that that really nice feeling of disconnecting. And when you say we have gone there, was that like family trips to your yes. uh, your aunt? All right, here's what I'm saying. As an adult, you, just you deciding, I want to go to, uh, let's say, Barbados, Little Corn Island. I want to go to one of these places. And you just go down there and you kind of pull the, the Henry Rollins trick. And Henry Rollins, how he does it, of course, legendary lead singer of Black Flag, a spoken word artist, musician with the Rollins Band, all sort of that stuff. Uh, also a fantastic writer. Every year, he will just basically point to a spot on a map or a globe, like with his eyes closed, and like, all right, that's where I'm going. Doesn't know anything about the place, doesn't bring a lot of stuff. He brings like a backpack, a notepad, and like a few things, and just goes and explores and checks it out. I think you'd enjoy it. I think you'd forget about all of the electronic stuff just for that week, and it's nice. It's almost like resetting. You know how you kind of, sometimes you need to reset your life, something's going on, and you just like, you have to just kind of... Take everything out and just push out all that stuff and uh, take a breath, take a deep breath. Well, if you take a deep breath for a week on some little tropical island someplace, pretty Not here. Cool. Let me explain something. Okay. <clears throat> oh, he's he, they, they number just one. adjusted in his seat. Yeah. <laughs> number one, if you haven't noticed, my pale and pasty flesh does not last long in the sunlight. Oh, look at me. Swarthy uh, Mediterranean gentleman. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm worse. Trust me. 20 minutes <laughs> in the know. Texas sun, I turn into crispy bacon. I, 20 minutes in the Texas sun, I've been dead for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like tropical islands. And number two, I watched way too many horror movies to just pick a random spot in like Eastern Europe and go. I'm not saying Eastern, although there are pl plenty of parts of Eastern Europe. That's one area of Europe that I haven't explored as much as I'd like to. But like when we went down I'm at this place, I'll, I'll use it again, Little Corn Island, because it was very telling you when you have to take one, two, three, three flights in a boat to get to your destination, you're going to an out of the way place. And my, my wife finds them. She found that one. Um, 
the sense of community there as well. When you're not buried in your phone and your computer and everything, you talk to more people. There were tons of backpackers there. Like this wasn't, this isn't a place where a family of five goes with like three young kids and everything. So there were some kids on the island, a few who had like adventurous parents and everything like that. And that was cool, you know, that they'd be there. But the majority of people were like adults backpackers we were wand- walking the whole island we wanted to you know we walked around the island one day we walked all through the interior another day found their baseball field where apparently some games had been held there that were pretty historic back in the day uh, with like Denny Martinez and people like that um, anyway we go up and we see these cabins up on a hill and it was really hot that day and the wind had died down so we're like you know what if we walk up the hill we can check out these cabins see what this place is uh, i think one of us might have wanted to grab a drink or go to the bathroom or something we walk up there and the wind starts picking up and then we see the people there's a bar and i'm like all right my kind of place has a bar so we walk over there the person at the bar this is how laid back this island is is asleep in a hammock behind the bar like there's a hammock behind the bar that's where the bartender is out cold Here's this coming up, wakes up, and it turns out they were, uh, I believe, a Canadian and American, a guy and a girl, who were just kind of backpacking through Central America, came to this place, met the people who had built these uh, these cabins for people to stay in. Those people said, hey, we're going to be uh, going back to uh, New York for like a year. Would you be interested in watching this place for us? And basically, we'll pay you to keep an eye on things and basically be the be the staff for our little mini resort here and those people did that and we just heard their story and talked to them and heard the story of like the people all the people that they've met there and all the interesting people that come through including some weirdos of course that have come through places like that but i don't know i just like it i like getting out of the way i like not going to a resort that's basically simulating what home is kind of like and then you know, you go outside and do stuff during the day and then you come back in and, and that's that can be fun, too. I remember there was a place in uh, in Mexico that I think my mom won a vacation to it or something in like a radio contest, I think, called the Mayan Palace in, Al- in Acapulco. We went down there and that place for me at my age at that time, like 13, 14 years old or something. It was amazing. It was fantastic. But as an adult, when it's just my wife and I, you know, my my parents watch my son and we just go and. We just hit the road, man. Check something out. That's kind of what I like to do these days. Yeah, see, I'm more like cruises where you can go out, explore, do some fun activities, but then you come back to the the positive, the modern amenities. Yeah. My wife uh, will never set foot on a cruise ship. Uh, ever, ever, ever is what she's told me. She's like, no, no, not doing it. You want to go on one? You can go on one. She's not. There are two things that she doesn't like, cruise ships and heights. And I didn't know about the heights thing until we were actually on vacation in Costa Rica. There are these waterfalls uh, in, in a town called Montezuma where we stayed. Again, another big backpacker town. Also, a lot. It was kind of odd. A lot of Canadian roughnecks like that work up in the oil fields, like these big burly dudes missing teeth and stuff. All wearing Edmonton Oilers ball caps and stuff. <laughs> they were down there. I, and I found that out because I was wearing a Hartford Whalers ball cap one day. And the guy was like... Oh, the whale, eh? And I started talking to him. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I work up in uh, Alberta. I'm up in like Red Deer working. The- just talking to people. It's it's always fun to meet people. But there is this, uh, this walk that we heard about. Like, hey, you can go the- to this place and you can uh, climb up to the top of these waterfalls and you can jump off the waterfall and all that stuff. And we're like, ah, oh, that sounds cool. We took the wrong path to get there, I think it was, or was it getting back? I don't know, but we ended up climbing through the jungle, and that's when I learned that my wife is like a spider monkey able to scale hills. You've met her. She's When you when you don't weigh a lot, uh, and I weigh a substantial amount, she does not. When you weigh less, it's easier to pull yourself up, cliff faces and stuff like that. She's able to do that, but when we got to, um, when we got to the, uh, 
the waterfall, the way that you had to get down to the top waterfall there, because there were several levels of it, you had to hold on to a rope and climb down uh, this kind of rock cliff, maybe seven feet, eight feet. And then there was a small ledge that you walked across for, I don't know, 20, 30 feet. I went down first. I got down and I just took a moment, like took a breath to figure out, all right, where do I want to put my feet here? Because if you fall off, you weren't falling into the water. You were falling onto rocks. I, I stopped for a beat and then I hear like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to figure out exactly where I should step next. She looked over, said, nope, and turned around and walked <laughs> away. And we were, we, as soon as she heard me say like, oh, I'm trying to figure out where to, where to put my foot next, that was it for her. She's not a fan of heights, but anyway. All right, so the point of that whole conversation is uh, Fourth of July on Wednesday stinks. Now, taking a quick look around at what's going on in the world of military and veteran news. Story being reported on by Military Times of a man who never served, but still somehow got nearly $200,000 in benefits how did he do that? Well, Stolen Valor falsely claimed to have served in Vietnam, defrauded the VA out of nearly $200,000. His name is Keith Hudson, 70 years old, falsified a separation from active duty report. We know it better as the DD-214 and basically uh, got almost 200000 Military Times is reporting $197,237, according to a DOJ news release. Uh, that is... Not good. So he claimed that he had been in the Navy serving as a corpsman, two Purple Hearts. But here's how they kind of figured it out eventually, and it's kind of upsetting that it took this long. He didn't use the correct citation for the award. The DD-214 had, like, the wrong write-up on the award. Right. Each DD-214 is supposed to look the same way. Um, he also claimed to have gotten a device, the Combat Medic Badge, which is only given in the Army. Uh, and a Fleet Marine Force medal with Marine device. That medal, Jake, he would have been the first to have gotten it because it doesn't exist. So I don't know. Like who? <laughs> somebody wasn't checking exactly what was going on there, but a crazy story. Um, also, the ranking that he listed didn't align with the pay grade. So in the Navy, we are the branch. Us in the Coast Guard on the enlisted side are different than everybody else. Of course, the Air Force is a little bit different. And then at the higher ranks, the Army and Marine Corps are a little different. Even at the lower ranks with specialists, you don't have that in the in the Marine Corps. But in the Navy, you'll have like Petty Officer Second Class is E5, Petty Officer First Class is E6, you know, just like Sergeant, Staff Sergeant. Well, whatever he listed, actually, like he put himself down as like Petty Officer Third Class, E6 or something like that. So, you know, it's possible. he thought it was one, two, three. Well, if you're frocked, then you that's the only situation where you'll have that happen. So if someone makes, let's say you're a uh, Petty Officer Second Class and you make first off the test, but you don't score high enough on the test to put it on right away. You ha you wait like six months. It's six months afterwards that you start getting paid for it. So until that time, you're a petty officer first class E5, essentially. Your pay grade is still E5, but you're recorded all the respect and responsibilities of petty officer first class. So it's just one of those things. So yeah, this guy, almost $200,000. Another veteran, one who did a little bit of time, has lost a political race. There's a lot of veterans running for seats and Congress and the Senate this year. Uh, this one, you may remember, as Private First Class Manning, who, of course, leaked some stuff over to WikiLeaks, did some time in the Army, then announced uh, a run for the Senate in Maryland. There was also uh, a lot of controversy during the race for the Senate, including a photo that was tweeted out by Manning of uh, feet on the edge of, on the ledge of a building that led a lot of people to think, 
whoa, are you thinking of committing suicide? People involved in the campaign said this is enough. It's taken too much of a toll on someone who has a very fragile psyche, as we've seen anyway. Stop this nonsense. Well, the voters stopped the nonsense as uh, Manning was defeated. Something like there was something like uh, 100,000 votes and um, Ben Cardin, who's a long-term incumbent Democratic senator from Maryland, got more than 80% of the vote. Boo-hoo. Allow me to shed my tears. Look at that. Jake shedding shedding tears. That is, uh, boy, that's an interesting thing. Jake is just looking for that. And now it's time for us to talk to a special guest. We're going to have a full interview with her next week, but here's a little partial taste of what Liz Rotenberry of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation had to say about their amazing programs. And we are now joined by Elizabeth Rotenberry. Liz is a military caregiver for her husband, a Marine Corps veteran and wounded warrior who served in Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom. She's also an Elizabeth Dole Fellow alumna and works to advocate not only for herself and her family, but for all military and veteran caregivers. Liz joined the Elizabeth Dole Foundation as their Caregiver Community Program Coordinator and is now the Foundation's Fellow Program Coordinator. And what we want to talk to her about right now are actually two other programs. Because, man, the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is doing a lot of good stuff, including the Military Children's Impact Forum. So, Liz, what can you tell us about this forum that's coming up in July? Uh, Eric, I'm so excited to know that Senator Elizabeth Dole and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation has really, truly not only recognized who caregivers are um, immediately connected to the veteran, but also those military children who are also affected by what our wounded warriors are going through and how they have become military caregivers as well. Um, You know, my own personal story, I've got four children. All four of them have stepped up to take care of their father when he's not doing well. They make sure he's getting lunch or breakfast. They make sure he's getting his medications and that he's, he's maintaining his health. They're on top of this. The problem is, is that these children are also suffering with the same things that military caregivers suffer with. Um, you know, Senator Elizabeth Dole established the RAND study, which was one of, the, one of its own kind. Um, it was the biggest study re- done about military caregivers. And the things they found were the depression, the unhealthy um, behaviors, the stress that we go through, the anxiety we go through. All of those things are the exact same things our children go through. And so this Military Child Impact Forum is bringing together researchers to develop um, a way to, to create a study to understand what's happening to our military children and how can we take that study now and get them the care they need. So we're almost doing the exact same thing we've done for military and veteran caregivers. Now we're doing them for the children. And these children deserve the care and the resources as well. They need to have that outlet. Um, I know know, my children attend a military child post-traumatic stress therapy unit. We need more things like that for these kids. And so by doing this impact forum, we're going to be able to find out what those needs are and get them to them. It is something that extends throughout the entire family of our wounded warriors, those who who are in need of caregiver uh, attention. And, of course, adults have experience of dealing with things. Kids, it it can be even more difficult for them because they have less experience to draw on when dealing with these traumatic experiences and and helping out, uh, you know, whether it's their father, their mother, whatever the case may be. So that is really fantastic to hear. And I also hear that there's something called the caregiver journey map. What can you tell us about that? Yes. The journey map um, is an effort to map out the stages of the caregiver journey. So it includes milestones like receiving diagnosis or identifying as a caregiver. Um, Most of the time, you know, I didn't know where I was as a caregiver. And if I had had something to kind of look at and say, oh, my gosh, this is my life, 
and maybe this is kind of where the direction is going to go, it helps get you those resources to that future um, situation before it happens. It helps to identify, it helps caregivers to identify not only with themselves, but it also helps get, um, we've got clinicians and civilian doctors treating veterans and caregivers, but they don't know what the role of the caregiver is and what they're going through. And so this caregiver journey map um, is a way to start explaining how this journey affects the person giving care. Uh, We are working closely with Phillips and the VA, and we've worked with hundreds of partners to make sure that this is getting getting done exactly the way it should be to support our military and veteran caregivers. So the Elizabeth Dole Foundation will have it finalized um, this year and unveil it. Uh, We are getting it printed out to as many people as we can to be able to share with them this this map, this idea of uh, what a caregiver goes through. And it's going to vary in, in caregiver status, so whether it's a parent or a spouse or a child, um, it's going to vary and depend on those people and where they are in their life. Well, we've been speaking with Elizabeth Rotenberry from the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. She is their Foundation's Fellow Program Coordinator and has been telling us about the Military Children's Impact Forum and the Caregiver Journey Map. Liz, if people want to find out more about those two items, where can they go to find out? If, you, if any listener is interested, you can go to ElizabethDoleFoundation.org. You can also go to our HiddenHeroes.org website as well. Um, we've got all kinds of information up there, the newest and greatest stuff. You can also go to our Facebook page, uh, Elizabeth Dole Foundation and Hidden Heroes. You can also go, we're on Twitter. Uh, we're, we're just about everywhere. You just type in Elizabeth Dole Foundation and you can find us. Um, and we always support the latest and greatest, you know, coming up and programs, resources, legislation. So we would love to have your support as well. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Friday edition, here on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. That's our slogan, because it's what we do. And why do we do it? Because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have put on that uniform, and just as importantly, knows what it's like to have taken it off for the very last time. Because of that, and because of the difficulties each and every one of us faces with our transition... We work to try and get you the information you need to live your best veteran life. Whether it's a great benefit or program from the VA that can help you physically or mentally, or something like discounts at Sam's Clubs that are being offered to veterans in active duty military. All of that stuff is available on multiple platforms at ConnectingVets.com. So go check it out, I don't know, 15, 20 times a day, especially my stories that go up on there. And then also follow us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest has been around for a while, covering veterans' issues for a number of publications, currently works for Military Times, doing some amazing reporting work. We talk about his stories almost every day here on the first segment of The Morning Briefing when Jake and I throw our ridiculous opinions about news around. He doesn't put his opinion in there too much. He's just giving you the straight facts of what's taking place in the veteran world. He is Leo Shane the Third from Military Times. Leo, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm doing well, and I'm glad to finally have you in here because I can't tell you how many times I had people who knew both of us who were like, 
why haven't the two of you been in a room together Look, and talked to each other? We're busy guys. We got lots of stuff to cover here. We got lots we of stuff are. to do. We so. are. I know you and I both have to keep up <laughs> with our fan clubs as well. We need to go to all the meet and greets and all those events because, you know, it's a it's it's just such a such a celebrity that we have. It's in, a burden. It's a burden, yeah, but you know, the, we we somehow work through it so. In the veteran community. Of course, that's uh maybe an exaggeration or just a total <laughs> fabrication on my part, but I can tell you that Leo you do have a number of fans in the veteran community. You have a number of fans in this office right here for the great work that you're doing. As I mentioned, currently working for Military Times. Before that, Stars and Stripes. Let's talk before we get into discussing the uh, the events of the day, particularly the VA confirmation hearing that you mm-hmm. were at and covering uh, diligently the other day. Let's talk about Leo Shane for just a little bit. I know that you're a fan of some garbage sports teams. I've been hey told now. that. Hey now, be nice. From the city be of- nice. We can make this an entire Philadelphia sports segment <laughs> if you want. We the can city, skip over the veteran stuff. The city of Philadelphia is, that's <laughs> uh, just how I pronounce it, in, in Connecticut and New York. You're talking about the we, Super Bowl <laughs> champions here. Uh, don't remind me. I, I thought I would forever be able to say, hey, you remember the last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl or the time before that? I, I also thought you'd be able to say that so, forever. So, yeah, it's, it's, we, can, it's, we can share that part. Crazier yeah. things have happened. But, of course, first, how did you get into journalism? Then, specifically, Leo, how did you come to be covering veterans and military issues? Yeah, so, I mean, I you know, I in college, I was actually an engineering student and uh, flipped over to journalism. Saw the uh, saw the light side instead of, of the dark side. There, between so, those two. you know, I transitioned. I like to say I was one class away from a math minor, uh, and I could I could probably be uh, a successful journalist then if I was the the one journalist who could do math for everybody else. But <laughs> uh, you know, bounced around a handful of different jobs in uh, in Pennsylvania, Chicago, Ohio. Um, really got into the politics side, and then. Moved to D.C. and got a chance to work for Stars and Stripes and cover cover the military, cover veterans. I covered a couple, uh, you know, like local bases, things like that, but never right. never a lot of of military issues. And I got to tell you, you know, I've covered plenty of like school board meetings and long arguments about whether or not this berm is going to be appropriate on this street corner and things <laughs> like that. Uh, the very first time I got an email from a guy in Afghanistan saying, "Hey, I don't understand this portion of the GI Bill." I was like, oh, oh my God, like this is, this is real service journalism. This is the kind of thing that it's, it's easier to get up in the morning when you think you're really helping the readers and especially, you know, at Stars and Stripes when you're writing for, uh, for troops who are serving overseas, when you're their, their, um, you know, body, you know, embodiment of the first amendment, uh, it really feels important. So I've been, I've been lucky. I transitioned from, some you know almost solely military personnel stuff when i first started to more veterans issues as more more men and women came back and as we got into that and then been able to continue that over at uh, military times in the last few years and really just uh, i feel feel very lucky and very blessed to to be on this beat is that the most rewarding aspect of the job is hearing back from those people in in on on duty right now and those who have served? I mean, the ones who are nice. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I say even the even the mean ones, and boy, I get those. I've been called a uh, left wing commie and then a right wing fascist on uh, following days on yeah. social media. It's yeah, no, they, they, when I get them on the same day, I actually feel better because I'm like, all right, I must have hit it right in the middle. Then. So <laughs> it's the different days that worry you. So no, look that that interaction, getting to as as someone who didn't serve, as someone who. I uh, grew up in a family where, um, you know, my, my father didn't serve. My grandfather had some World War II stories. Um, my father-in-law served, but uh, it was during the Vietnam era. The short stint didn't actually uh, go overseas to Vietnam. Um, you know, I had some familiarity with this, but like a lot of Americans, I just didn't, you know, I'm, I'm just not as connected, was not as connected to the military community. And to get 
not just insight into that, but to be welcomed in to help tell those stories has been incredibly rewarding. And to hear back from folks say, thank you for telling that story. Thank you for letting me know about this. Um, you know, the number of folks have just reached out and said, I didn't know that. Um, when, when people ask me, like, what, you know, what stories were your favorites? With me? I've gotten to do some very flashy stories. But to be honest, the, when the, the post 9-11 GI Bill was passed, I, I had we, we did a mailbag at Stars and Stripes. where We just had reader after reader after reader asking, how do I get into this? How do I do this? How do I, you know, how do I use these benefits? What's it going to mean for my family? And the idea that, you know, I played a small part in helping all of these folks figure out how to make that transition, figure out how to get to school, maybe figure out how to set up their their children for school. Um, you know, I, that, that helps me go to sleep at night. We're speaking with Leo Shane, ace veteran issue reporter over at the Military Times organization. You can check them out and check out Leo's work at militarytimes.com. It's interesting that you mentioned not having served, and this reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, Jeff Zizulowitz, also from over yeah. at uh, Military Times, who was covering a Navy issue. And being a Navy veteran, I had an understanding of the story, but I don't know if I could have covered it the same way that he did. There are those people out there who would say, well, oh, Leo, she's not a veteran. What does he know? Do you think it's they actually, let me know once in a while. Do you, yeah. do you think it's actually kind of important to have non-veterans covering those issues to be able to put that non-biased eye on it where you don't have a, a dog in the fight for you? For, I, I think it's important to have both perspectives. And I've had, you know, I've had some editors who have come in and not known anything about military issues who have a great perspective on um, what do I, you know, what do I need to know? How do you make this story better by, by having that blank slate? So, um, I, you know, I think any, any newsroom that doesn't have veterans is losing a incredibly important resource. Like there's, there are just going to be angles and perspectives that I never get because I don't have that service. But, um, you know, because I, I don't, what I do is I spend more time talking to veterans and I spend more time talking to, to service members, to people who know so that I can understand. And then there's always that, if I if I've got this experience, well, I don't have to work as hard to find it. You do have some of that danger. So, um, but you know, I, I see this all the time on on defense social media on defense Twitter. There's always this back and forth when somebody somebody calls a, a, a self propelled howitzer a tank, um, which <laughs> I I totally have never done that and heard about it from from everyone. But uh, but there's you know there's there's certain angles there's certain understandings that if you don't have a a veteran if you don't have somebody who's got that background to to sort of fact check you uh, you're going to make mistakes like that um, you know it's the the thing that I come back to when when folks bring that up is always it's important not just to write for veterans I love writing for veterans I love the veterans reading I hope I'm I'm doing everything I can to inform them. Um, but I also want to make my mom read these stories. I want my mom to understand what's mm. going on in the veterans community. Um, and if if she's hearing it from a veteran who's using technical terms or just too much insider stuff, she's not going to understand it. So so I hope I can split the balance there and the the places where I have gaps, I can go out and say, all right, right. you know, guys, gals, let me let me know what I'm missing here. Explain to me what I need to be telling folks. That's important, and it reminds me, you being a baseball fan of a team that's doing a little bit better than mine right now, uh, as I said to you uh, when we were like, emailing like 10 back games and forth. in the standings, isn't it? I, I have selective up-and-down dyslexia when it comes to baseball <laughs> standings on years when the Mets are not good, so most years is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Right now, they're in uh, second place and really closing fast on the Nationals. So, so On the Nationals, on uh, the Marlins. No, on the, there, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a difficult time, but to use a sports analogy – the some of the greatest athletes of all time, some of the greatest baseball players of all time, make 
horrible color analysts. They know right. the game. They don't know how to talk about the game and explain the game for someone who isn't a player to understand it. Do you think it's kind of a similar thing when it comes to civilians yeah, with mean, no military experience reporting on the military and veterans issues? Yeah, look, my my job is to cover Capitol Hill and to explain what the what the big military and veteran stories are, are on there. So, the, you know, there's a lot of value. There's a, a handful of veterans who are up there who have reported on things, but you know, there's a lot of a lot of what I do is just understanding where bills stand, what you know, whether or not this is realistic, what the political fights behind this are. So those are things that are that are universal to somebody who covers politics, not necessarily veterans. Right. So, uh, and I hope that I can I can bring that out when I'm talking about the military pay raise. Um, you know, yes, if you're in the military, you know the importance of what that is, but you don't know necessarily what it means when the Appropriations Committee says one thing and the Armed Services Committee says another thing, and there's a third fight going on with with uh, back and forth over sequestration. So, um, so yeah, there, a lot of times it's it's what you can bring, and I, like I said, the the most valuable thing to me and the most one of the most rewarding things has just been how the how the veterans community has been open to me I've, i'm constantly amazed by the folks who will talk to me not just about i want this bill passed but about really personal things about struggles with with suicidal thoughts struggles with readjustment struggles with loneliness and you know it's it's really a from an outsider's perspective from someone who's covered this for a while like from somebody who's just coming from a different angle it's it's just really amazing how open and how much the the veteran and military community want to be better known in the country and want you know just want to be part of that story want want folks to understand um, who they are and and what they've done and not not for a thank you but just so that you you understand what their part is in in this country. We're speaking with Leo Shane, military and veterans issues reporter over at Military Times. You can check out his work at militarytimes.com. Leo, this week, you've had a pretty big story that you've been covering. You've been doing the live tweeting of it. I've seen a bunch of tweets. Um, Nikki Wentling, though, from Stars and Stripes, did beat you to the punch on getting to the only plug at the Senate confirmation I, hearing. Now, I'd like to clarify that. I brought <laughs> I brought an extension cord to the hearing, so ah. I, you know, and Nikki, I made Nikki acknowledge on Twitter that I expanded, you know, it was a force multiplier there. Right? Ah, there you I go. Brought in, I brought in more, so. There yeah. you go. But you were covering it. Nikki was covering mm-hmm. it. Our own Matt Sainsing was covering it. A a lot of people over there covering this because it is a big deal. Now, what were your impressions of Robert Wilkie uh, during the confirmation hearing overall? Did you think uh, he did well, and do you think it went well for him as well as like John Tester said, where he said yeah. basically you're as good as the, at this as anybody I've ever seen? Yeah, look, this this has been a tumultuous. Uh, what what are we up to? Three months, three plus months for yeah. for the Department of Veterans Affairs. We, you know, this is the second when when Secretary Shulkin was fired. Um, back in March, that was the the second time in less than four years that the the top VA official was was forced out of his job. And then the Ronnie Jackson issue, White House physician who who was nominated had to withdraw over controversy. So it's it's been I mean it's just been a a, a mess over there. Two different acting secretaries, you know Robert Wilkie was one of them. So with all of that as the backdrop, boy, this was a really relaxed, calm hearing. I mean this was. Uh, you know, this is someone who, who you know, Secretary Wilkie, he's, he's currently the Undersecretary for Personnel and Benefits uh, over at the Pentagon. Um, he's someone who's seen as a stabilizing force. He's someone who's a career bureaucrat, you know, worked under Rumsfeld, worked in a variety of Hill positions, uh, really seen as, as just a, a, a no-fuss kind of candidate. And, you know, what we heard was the senators pretty much saying, yeah, you, you seem like a, a, the kind of person that we don't have to worry about. Uh, you've got good reviews from the veterans groups. They liked what you did as acting secretary. Um, so we, you know, we saw some interesting questions. There's some long-term stuff we'll have to suss out. But 
for the most part, this this was even calmer than I might have expected. That hearing had a lot of interesting things taking place in it, but it seemed from following your live tweeting of it, you were curious as to why some interesting things didn't come up yeah. at all during the hearing. There was a Washington Post report that came out prior to the hearing, raising some questions about some of the work he'd done in the past for uh, Donald Rumsfeld, for Jesse Helms, and it sounded like you kind of expected some of the senators, particularly the Democrats, to bring up some of those uh, issues during the hearing. That didn't happen. Do you have any idea why that might have been? Yeah, um, you know, they, the, uh, I had heard from several members uh, of the committee that they, they thought, that, you know, this would be an issue and they would bring it up. They would talk about this. So, um, as you said, there was Washington Post report. There was also a Wall Street Journal report that talked about when he worked with Jesse Helms, him advocating some positions that some uh, several people found racially insensitive. Uh, some work on equal pay stuff for Trent Lott that uh, that people thought was possibly sexist, um, and some some appearances in the past with groups uh, sons of uh, uh, veterans of the Confederacy. Um, you know, some some past affiliations there. He's from North Carolina. I, I had talked to a number of people about this. Most people thought these were issues that are pretty far in the past, that they were pretty easily explainable, uh, that he'd be able to get up on the stand and say, look, there are things with people I worked with that, you know, I would have to look at a different way now, but, you know, I'm here committed to all veterans. And we got quite a ways into the hearing before anybody brought it up. And, and the only person who really charged into these these charges directly uh, was Senator Tom Tillis, who was his, he introduced him, his largest advocate on the committee. And he basically <laughs> said, these are ridiculous things to bring up. Could you address them? Um, it didn't surprise me that, that uh, it wasn't a bigger issue, but it did surprise me that it, like, it wasn't talked about at all. These th- seem like things that if they were left to linger out there, you know, have the possibility of having Wilkie labeled as, oh, this is a, a, a an ultra conservative, racist, uh, you know, problematic candidate here. Uh, and I thought I thought he dealt with them pretty deftly. He said, "Look, I'm committed to all veterans. I'm here to serve all veterans. Um, I've worked at this for a long time. And yes, you know, some views evolve, some positions evolve. These these uh, these events that I went to that were related to the Confederacy were officially Army and congressionally backed events. So if you want to condemn me, you got to condemn some other people who were, <laughs> who were there too." Um, you know, but it, it it struck me. You know, I there's all with these hearings. There's always going to be some some focus on parochial issues and there's larger issues about privatization, about healthcare expansion, about the mission act that just passed that, that I knew would take precedence for certain lawmakers. But to get that deep into the hearing without addressing the elephant in the room, you know, I'm starting to bang my head against the wall. You know, it's interesting that you say that and leaving the things to linger may be a political uh, game that someone's trying to play. Like, hey, if we leave some of these things out there and we don't get the full answers, uh, you know, we haven't heard Robert Wilkie called a Nazi yet. But considering today's current political climate, that's probably coming at some point. So this this is this is the interesting thing that I'll be watching as this comes back. So so Senate's out next week, but they'll be back in the second week in July and we'll probably get his confirmation vote very quickly. I've gone back and I've looked not just at the VA secretary since since VA became a cabinet position back in the late 80s, um, not just the VA secretaries, but every single VA nominee, all the deputy undersecretaries, everybody else sent us had to confirm, there's never been a senator who's voted against any of them mm. on any level. So for everything that's going on in Capitol Hill, for all of the all of the divisiveness, for everything, you know, you've had sec defs who've had a vote or two against them, had this. You've never had anybody in Veterans Affairs get a negative vote from a senator. So if this is an issue that, that causes that, 
um, or if just the 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 partisan fighting up there, if just the the animosity and the rancor up there is so great, you know, it's it's going to be significant to even have one or two senators say, "I'm not voting for the VA secretary because whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, it has been a position and has been a department that has really been held above the partisan fray since it became a cabinet level post, and. You know, I, one or two votes is not going to matter in the scheme of things. He will be confirmed. It seems it seems you know apparent, just obvious that yeah. that he's got the support. But um, but even even just a few votes of opposition are signaling that we really are in a, a very different environment now. Yeah, we certainly are. And I think there are some people who, who when they learned that, and I only learned it recently, mm-hmm. that there's never been a vote against a nominated uh, uh, secretary of the VA during Senate confirmation. That that maybe means that they d- did they not care as much about it, or does it look bad to vote against a veterans issue? You know, there are a lot of questions yeah. on why that's happened. So I put that I put this out here um, actually before Ronnie Jackson was nominated to talk about some you know again same issue. Will this will this be a thing? There have been some I, I don't want to say controversial secretaries, but there have been partisan folks who have been nominated in the past, and there have been opportunities to do this. I don't think it's simply. Congress being a rubber stamp, the Senate not doing its homework. I think that there really is a different standard for this position than there are for some other positions. We see a lot of very, very one-sided votes with uh, defense secretaries as well. You know, Secretary Mattis only had one vote against him, and that was uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, who was saying she had a lot of concerns about the precedent of waiving the military uh, military service right. and that. but. Um, but you know we see we see you know one significant but I don't I don't think that it's just a matter of oh this is unimportant we're just going to rubber stamp everything I really think it is people feel that there has to be a a overwhelming compelling reason why that candidate can't help veterans and why they feel that it should be delayed that the department doesn't have proper leadership. We're speaking with Leo Shane III from Military Times, their ace veterans issues reporter, joining us here on the morning briefing for the very first time. Hard to believe that we've been here for a year and haven't talked to Leo Shane yet, but we're rectifying that this morning (laughs) and talking about some big issues as it relates to uh, Capitol Hill, the VA, the nomination of Robert Wilkie. Despite the turmoil at the VA with leadership, with Secretary Shulkin and then Ronnie Jackson's uh, short uh, nomination, (laughs) Robert Wilkie, the lawsuit from Vote Vets and other organizations trying to pull him, it's been kind of turbulent at the top there, but... Overall, it seems to me that in the last year or so since we started up here at Connecting Vets, it's been a pretty positive time for veterans legislation. Quite a few things have gone through that had been worked on for quite a while. We've had the VA Mission Act go through. We had the VA Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act, which kind of backfired on Secretary Shulkin a little bit there with his trip over to Europe. Uh, But we've had numerous items go through. Over the last year, two years, let's say since the beginning of this administration, how would you say that veterans issues uh, legislatively have been working out yeah that one of the, one of the things that really surprised me with the shulkin firing was that up up until that that controversy started va was was one of the unequivocal success stories of the trump administration they had had quite a bit of veterans legislation passed through as you said some of these were bills you know the accountability act um you know some of this community care overhaul that's been in the works for years mm-hmm. um you know part of this is having a republican president and republican controlled congress so they can finally move through on this but these were issues that were moving through with Democrats democratic support as well um so and and then even within within va itself on the executive branch side you know this this move to electronic medical records that match with dod's was it was a gigantic deal um setting up the whistleblower office setting up a handful of hotlines you know there there was plenty of stuff to 
crow about with VA. And if you look past the self-inflicted wound of whatever, you know, what, what happened with Secretary Shulkin and Secretary Jackson, you know, unlike four years ago when, when Secretary Shinseki resigned over the wait time scandals and everything, all of the all of the controversy that surrounded VA in the last two years has been on the political side, has been less about what the service what services VA is actually delivering and more about political moves and, and questions about where that's coming up. And privatization of the VA and so many things like that that, yeah. are, uh, that are still huge discussion points and something that Robert Wilkie uh, was asked directly about during the confirmation hearing. So that's going to be a big thing moving forwards, too as well as a definition. If we can come to a clear definition uh, among us, a consensus of what privatization means, because there are organizations who want no veteran who receives VA care to get anything outside of the VA. There are people who want veterans to never go to the VA. And then there's the majority who are somewhere in right. between. On those yeah, two. I mean, this this has been the recurring problem with that. And I, I, you know, quite a few of the reporters at the confirmation hearing this week when, I believe it was Senator Sanders said, are you, will you oppose privatizing VA? And Secretary, you know, Secretary nominee Wilkie said, yes, I, I do not support privatizing VA. I had a whole bunch of reporters around me, including Nikki and Ben Kessling from the Wall Street Journal, say, "What? what's the definition of privatization? Ask the next question. What's your yep. definition <laughs> of what that means? Like, it's great to say you're against it. Everybody is against privatization, but um, but you're right. It's the shifting sands of of lots of different issues. So I don't I don't know that any credible veterans organization right now says that VA should be the only place that that um, veterans get their care because right. it's, not, it's just not realistic. It's not feasible. You know, when when Obama left office, about a third of all VA medical appointments were outside of VA. So this this idea that pushing some veterans into the private sector is somehow opening Pandora's box that that ship sailed you know decades ago. Um, but the question is, where does that tipping point become? And at what point is more of the money headed outside of VA than setting up a system that, you know, has flaws, but is also uh, a nationwide leader in prosthetics research, in PTSD, and things that, you know, your your local community doctor may not have any knowledge of or, or you know, or even know where to refer you to. Um, so you, we're going to we're going to see those fights continue. And that's going to that's going to define uh, you know, to be Secretary Wilkie's, uh, you know, first uh, year in office uh, is how deftly can he navigate that? How much, you know, can he calm the fears of the veterans groups who see this mission act as moving a lot of the resources out? Uh, and how much can he appease the folks on uh, the conservative side who are saying too many veterans are still locked into the system? We need to open it up more. We've been speaking with Leo Shane from Military Times. He is their veteran issues reporter covering legislation and so much more on Capitol Hill. I learned today that while I already knew that Leo write good, Leo talk good, too. And he's been great going over these issues, particularly the uh, the uh, questions surrounding Secretary of uh, VA nominee Robert Wilkie. That's what he's been covering a lot recently, doing some great work on Twitter and other places this week as the confirmation hearing happened on Wednesday. I'm sure he'll be keeping up on that going forward. Leo, if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go to do so? They can hop on MilitaryTimes.com, and if you want Twitter snark and some uh, Philadelphia sports updates in with your veterans news, you can go to at Leo Shane. Nobody wants Philadelphia sports updates unless it's a loss. No, a lot no, of people. No, that's not true. See, now it's, <laughs> I've also learned today that Leo Shane is a liar. He just makes <laughs> things up. All right. So Carlos Fuentes, legislative director of the VFW is going to join us next. More talk about VA secretary nominee Robert Wilkie and so much more. You're listening to the Friday edition of the morning briefing on behalf of myself, Eric Damon, Jake Hughes. We'll see you in just a moment with the VFW. 
helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Friday edition of the Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, ConnectingVets.com, your website. And we mean that. Entercom's ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day through a variety of platforms, including audio. You're listening to this, so you know that. Video. Yeah, we got great stuff on there. I highly recommend you go check out the video we shot back in January. We went out hunting at Don Shipley's farm in the eastern shore of Maryland and brought Rob Jones and Ben Kiernan along with us. A lot of great stuff there. And, of course, articles. That's kind of the bread and butter of what we're doing, putting out these fantastic stories, focusing on veterans' issues, veterans' benefits, everything that we think veterans need to know. And we know what veterans need to know because we are veterans. Each and every member of our team is a veteran themselves and knows what it's like to put on that uniform. And just as importantly, we know what it's like to take that uniform off for the last time, as does our next guest. He is the legislative director for the Veterans of Foreign Wars and a Marine Corps veteran. Please welcome back to the show, Carlos Fuentes. Carlos, how are you doing this morning? Doing well, Eric. Thanks for having us again. And um, <clears throat> got to say, I always follow you guys on social media and you guys post some great stories. So we do. I had two good ones yesterday, man. First, the Veteran Enhancement Project, which is a small group of vets in Maryland working out of two garages. And I don't mean like garages like companies i mean their personal garages they build adapted motorcycles for amputees and wounded warriors and teach veterans how to work on their bikes to save them money and then of course that uh, almost home movie uh, by bj golnick which as a marine yourself i know you haven't seen it yet but you told me you're going to check it out there's so much great stuff going on out there in the veteran community that's flashy But there's also a lot of stuff going on in the veteran community that may seem a little dull, may seem a little hard to parse for the average veteran. That's where people like Carlos Fuentes comes in when it comes to legislative issues where it's politicians bickering about something and four hour long confirmation hearings where it's the same question being asked 150 different times, but with slightly different wording or maybe uh, the voice goes up at the end like a question and things like that. Carlos deals in those issues. And first, uh, as we just talked with Leo Shane about this, we'll talk with you about it and get the VFW's perspective. Robert Wilkie's confirmation hearing, we're just two days removed from it now. You were there giving him the the, uh, intense Marine Corps stare, I'm sure, to let him know, like, hey, we're watching, we're paying attention. He knows. He's he's both, I think, isn't he both Navy and Air Force veteran, I think? So how did you think the the hearing went overall? And where does the VFW stand on uh, Wilkie's uh, candidacy for the Secretary of the VA position? I had to be there to make sure that, uh, you know, we're keeping an eye on him. And uh, to make sure that he understands you know, veterans and, and, and their families are counting on him to do the right thing. Um, frankly, he, he did a great job. Uh, one of the key moments was when he discussed um, how his military background will enable him to, to really be a veteran secretary. Right. Right. He's going to walk the post. He's going to go to VA medical facilities. He's going to, as a veteran, be able to understand um, you know the the difficulties that we encounter, and he, and he does because he he described how you know when we we go to the VA medical facilities, getting into the door is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Once we're there, once we receive the care, 
it's typically you know high quality and 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 he understands that and and we're, we're looking forward to having him there and 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 hopefully uh we'll get there as soon as possible so he can get hit the ground running and and improve care for veterans there are those people out there that are never going to be happy with anything that the VA does, and I don't blame them. Some of them have had horrifying experiences with care, with access to care. I understand where they're coming from, but looking at it from a pragmatic perspective and from uh, as someone whose uh, VA medical benefits run out in August of this year, the majority of them, as it's I'm now seven years away from uh, my uh, end of service, as someone who deployed to Afghanistan, that's when my 100% medical coverage at the VA comes to an end in just a couple months. Looking at it as someone now on my wife's insurance without a dog in the fight, that is the issue. The care is not the issue at the VA. Yes, there are examples. There are examples of medical malpractice at any medical facility that you go to. We all know the horrifying story of like the medical instrument, the surgical instrument left inside of the patient at the VA hospital. We know about the Northport Long Island VA that had uh, uh, chunks of cement and asbestos and stuff shooting out of the vents. Overall, the medical care at the VA is just as good and in some cases better as that on the civilian front. The one thing that they do not do as well, and I can tell you this having dealt with both, they do not do the bureaucracy well. They do not do the getting people seen quickly thing well. It takes a lot longer to get an appointment there than it does at their civilian counterparts. So you're saying you, you feel like he understands that and that's like going to be the big ticket thing that he addresses? He, he does. So quickly, uh, medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States. So unfortunately, uh, you see that throughout all the, the healthcare systems. Um, but one thing that resonated with me and I'm sure with, with your listeners uh, is when the nominee said that, um, frankly, we need to get, we need to improve customer service so that VA uh, employees get to yes, right? It's all about when one of my experience many times is they always give me a hundred reasons of why they can't do something. Yep. And, you know, frankly, the importance is to get to yes and be able to make something happen so that you provide good customer service. He's committed to do that. And if he's able to accomplish that, it's going to make a huge difference. That's the thing. Committing to doing something is great, but then you also need to accomplish it. And as someone who you work at the VFW, work in legislation, there have been roadblocks in the past. They've gotten rid of some recently. The Whistleblower and Accountability Protection Act, uh, or Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act. It doesn't, it's not accountability protection, it's whistleblower protection. That was one of the roadblocks to kind of cleaning up the VA. Um, we've seen some positive movement, as I understand it, since then. Uh, one of the important things that I think came out of this hearing was the current acting secretary of the VA, uh, Mr. Was it Peter O'Rourke, I think is his name, had said essentially to the IG at the VA who was looking into some issues, you work for me, you don't get to tell me what to do. That's not how it works with IGs, which is what Robert Wilkie confirmed at the hearing. How important do you think it's going to be for things to not only be done the right way as far as getting veterans what they deserve and what they need and fixing the problems, but to be, being done the right way so that people can't question what's happening over there, like happened with uh, Secretary Shulkin's trip to Europe and the stuff going on now with O'Rourke. How important do you think it's going to be for him to follow up on that and say, like, yeah, I understand how things are going to work and we're going to do it by the letter of the law? Wilkie's been in public service for quite some time. He's now the undersecretary for personnel readiness over at DOD. He's done a great job there. And, you know, frankly, we feel that he he understands the concept more uh, in terms of, you know, the do's and don'ts. 
But uh, frankly, what we're what we're looking for is to to ensure that he is able he he's put in the path to success. But we're going to be his his strongest uh, allies, but also uh, staunchest critics, because if he does not, um, you know, accomplish what he he says he 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 wants to, we're going to go out there and hold him accountable as well. That is important, and that's what the VSOs are there to do. They're not there to support the secretary of the VA. They're there to support veterans and advocate for veterans. You are there to support the secretary of the VA and making sure that uh, that he has the proper tools to get the job done, but then it's on him to get those things done, and that's what the VFW and the other VSOs are all about. We're speaking with the VFW's legislative director, Carlos Fuentes, here on The Morning Briefing on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. He's going to have a lot to deal with over there, as are a number of people. And there are a lot of issues in the veteran community that kind of tie together, whether it's a VA issue, a DOD issue, a little bit of both, like the electronic health records. I want to talk to you about the NDAA. Of course, that's the National Defense Authorization Act. I think most people think of it as a DOD-focused issue. Like, if that's just the money that's going to the military on what they do. It's a lot more than that, isn't it? It's actually going to have a, a great effect on the veteran community. It will. And we're keeping a close eye on the NDA. There are a number of provisions that uh, we support, um, like expanding recognition to Vietnam vets who served uh, during Operation End Sweep. But also, there are a couple other things in there. And and um, our forces retirement home preventing them from continuing to increase uh, fees on their residents. Uh, balancing the budget on, on the backs of their residents is not the way to go. So this uh, the Senate bill uh, would, would do a couple things to alleviate that pressure on armed, service, armed services retirement home, but also prevent them from, from uh, increasing fees on, on their residents. But we are tracking a couple things that we have to make sure, and I know that some of your... your, your um, your, your listeners are, are very keen on this as well. Um, the Senate bill is going to increase TRICARE fees. We're going to make sure that um, you know Congress made a deal with re- military retirees. Military retirees held up that their end of the bargain. Now Congress wants to switch the terms, and, and that's unacceptable. You know, uh, to toot our own horn a little bit, we're having our best month ever at ConnectingVets.com as far as people checking out our site. And one of the top reasons for that and top stories that's gotten a lot of attention on the website is the TRICARE issue where, you know, VFW, uh, AMVETS, American Legion, all of the VSOs, I can't say all, but all the VSOs that we've talked to about it, that we've gotten a, a statement from, you're all in agreement on this TRICARE issue that it's not cool, man, that it's only June now. Okay, it's going to be July in a couple of days, but it was just six months ago that these changes came into effect. It was really, for many people, just a month or two before that, that they even learned about it, in large part thanks to the VFW's issue to get the word out about the TRICARE changes that were coming that would affect veterans. But one of the things that they were told is that those retirees under 65 would not be affected by these, and we're speaking about specific TRICARE programs. We need to be clear. Talking about TRICARE Prime. We're not talking about TRICARE for Life. It's mostly TRICARE Prime that's the issue that they would not be uh, subject to the increased annual enrollment fees. They would not be subject to uh, higher copays and deductibles. Now this has changed. 
This is also something that's in the Senate Armed Forces Committee, as we've learned now, which, as Joe Shinelli from AMVETS was telling us last week, or this week, both, <laughs> he's saying basically this is something that probably is going to make it out of that Armed Forces Committee within a couple of weeks if people don't do something about it. Carlos, what can people do? As a legislative expert, if something's made it that far where it's being discussed behind closed doors rather quietly, which should raise some red flags for people, how does the average veteran or the average citizen who cares about veterans, how do they go about taking care of that and making a difference when it comes to something like this TRICARE issue. Call your senator. Let him know. This is unacceptable. Uh, we can't change the terms of our, our deal with military retirees. Uh, and call the Armed Services Committee. The Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, you can find their 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 phone number online. Um, and, and let them know that, uh, you know, they need to uh, stand back. And th- this... This provision um, was uh, taken out of the Senate uh, Armed Services Committee and is now being considered uh, during conference. So what happens is Senate passes their bill, the House passes theirs. There's differences that need to be mitigated. So right now they're in the process of taking a look at what's in the Senate and what's in the House bills and, and what needs to be fixed. There are some things that need to be left out. This is one of them. There are others that you know we want to make sure that are included. Um, you know, the uh, House version, for example, would uh, improve the military treatment records for for active duty service members so that you track uh, when they were exposed to burn pits. Also, yeah. uh, when they experienced blast blast exposures so that we're able to document that. And then later on, they're suffering for certain conditions. You are able to make that link and you're able to provide proper treatment. Right now, and I'm sure you were out there, um, and and you know we have service members that are exposed to blasts um, and are never documented in their record. Nope. nope. I I don't have any of that in my records, uh, and that's because you know the doc, a, 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 you know Marines love their their corpsman. Um, he did a great job, but at the same time, that documentation that was there or that knowledge doesn't make it back to to the computers. You know, we, we, we came back. It's so. where that drive that people in the military have. And I saw it. Listen, man, I was a witness to people doing amazing things on every day. Uh, you know, despite injuries, still continuing to perform. That drive to complete the mission, to continue to perform, sometimes means that making sure that you're okay takes a back seat, particularly while you're over there. And then eventually you can kind of forget about those things until you're back in the States and all of a sudden the world starts spinning. Like for Josh Collins, who we talked to, retired Delta Force operator who's currently paddleboarding from Washington State to Alaska. Alaska. Yeah, if you thought you were a badass, go check out Josh Collins. He had nine traumatic brain injuries between his military career in special forces, uh, as well as uh, infantry before that. Nine traumatic brain injuries, seven of them on active duty, two of them as a contractor, and it all added up. And then you have this is a Delta Force operator and a guy who among the Delta Force operators is considered like the Delta of the Deltas, the Alpha of the Deltas, if you will. This guy was so mission-oriented that until literally the world started spinning for him, he didn't take any time to look at what was going on with himself. The average veteran over there is dealing with the same things, and we need to put the onus on the military to make sure that they are keeping track of what happens to these soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, and not the other way around, because those those young Marines, they're not going to do it, man. They're going to want to keep getting out there and doing what devil dogs do, right? Exactly. And, th- and, that's, and that's our goal at the moment. Our moment is to accomplish the mission. 
and that's what's been ingrained in our, our in our heads since we we stepped uh, foot on the the yellow footprints in Paris Island, right? Uh, but ultimately, it is up to DoD to ensure that they are looking out for our long term health. You know, at Navy boot camp, they don't have any footprints. They figure we can figure out how to stand uh, in formation by ourselves. But, uh, you know, I understand why the Marine Corps has to do that, Carlos. It's okay. We're speaking with Marine Corps veteran Carlos Fuentes. You know, some good sea service ribbing from time to time. There's nothing wrong with that. I'll make him up to it. I'll take him out for lunch. Crayola Factory is just a couple miles up the road. We'll have a feast. (laughs) (laughs) Carlos is now the legislative director at the Veterans of Foreign Wars. And we're talking about a number of issues now, when you talk about the the burn pit aspect of the NDAA, is that separate from the legislation that was recently introduced by Representatives Mast and Gabbard? It actually uh, complements that legislation. So it also requires uh, DOD to conduct outreach to uh, service members so that they are aware of the registry and also sign up for the registry. Um, it, it's never too early to get started on, on some of those things. And, and frankly, what we need to know is um, how that impacts those who have been out there. Um, and the way we do that is by collecting the information from a group of folks who have uh, similar experiences. And then you see, all right, well, most of the folks who were deployed to this FOB actually have these types of pulmonary conditions. So, mm-hmm. you know, that may have been an issue so we have to go and investigate what happened at this FOB or you know this base or 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 if specifically all over Iraq and Afghanistan. And this is something that a registry is able to help us uh, identify. And the more folks that are on the registry, the better that we're able to analyze that data. And that is the key, being able to get the data and then to be able to do what you need to with it, because that's a whole other process. Gathering the data is one thing, then putting it into effect and making sure that people get the care that they need is another. And burn pits are an issue that have affected uh, generations of veterans, and we're just now getting to this. I mean, there were burn pits in Vietnam, and in fact, they were a lot less safe back then, because uh, go watch a season of Mad Men and look at what was thought to be acceptable and safe for children, let alone adults back then. You'll get idea of of what was going on in the military and you know, I was lucky enough that where where I worked in Afghanistan although I traveled a lot because of the nature of my job worked in a hard shell building nowhere near a burn pit my tent uh, was in the middle of nowhere it was dark you couldn't see anything there were no burn pits some nights it might have been uh, uh, nice to have the light from it but certainly not all the chemicals and smoke coming off of it but I did witness at many of those fobs and cops and all those places out there where these were there around where veterans uh, now veterans then servicemen and women were living and working and it's something that needs to be taken care of. And the VSOs like the VFW are going to be very involved in this process as it moves forward. We're speaking to the VFW's legislative director, Carlos Fuentes, Marine Corps veteran right now. Another thing I want to talk to you about, because there's legislation going on on this, and we just talked about how there were burn pits in Vietnam. There's also Agent Orange in Vietnam. And we know that Agent Orange affected uh, those who were boots on the ground. We also know it affected those sailors who were miles off the coast of Vietnam. But those Blue Water Navy sailors up to now have not been eligible for the same benefits from the VA in regards to Agent Orange exposure, despite showing the exact same symptoms, having the exact same problems, literally being able to prove that these guys were handling Agent Orange, that they were also close enough to where it would be wafting off of the shore and coming out to them. 
there's a lot that still needs to be done for the earlier generations of veterans, Carlos, not just the OEF, OIF, post 9-11 generation. What are we seeing for the Vietnam veterans specifically in this NDAA? Is it addressing that Blue Water Navy thing? I know that's moving through on its own as well, but what are some of the things that still need to be taken care of for that older generation of vets? Blue Water Navy is a perfect example of um, where VA just, you know, is, is, is denying benefits to, to folks who have earned it and, uh, frankly, doing arbitrary and capricious things. That's what the court said of, of VA's determination of who is entitled to benefits uh, and, and how they left out uh, Blue Water Navy veterans. Now, it's great to see that the House has moved the bill. This is the furthest that the Blue Water Navy bill has pa- uh, ha- has gone in the past. Um, it's a great piece of legislation that will finally provide benefits to those who've been waiting since 2002 when those benefits were taken away. Um, right now, we're waiting on the Senate. Um, the Senate committee wants to uh, consider the bill, and uh, we understand that. We want them to also understand the urgency. Um, we've already made these veterans wait too long and we have to make, we have to pass it as soon as possible. It's a great bill pass, uh, 382 to zero. You don't see that often. Um, no. and, and that shows overwhelming bipartisan support for veterans, which, uh, is great to see, but we need to continue over in the Senate side. If this doesn't make it through the Senate, there is going to be hell to pay, and we're going to need a good explanation for why. In fact, I I, I get the feeling from what I've been seeing specifically from Vietnam veterans and their advocates on social media and all around the country that those who vote against this, even if it does get through, they may be hearing from some of those people on this issue because it's something that, as you said, the VA treatment has been legally ruled arbitrary and capricious. It essentially comes down to, well, that guy's wearing a green shirt. That guy's wearing a blue shirt. Yeah, the guy in the green shirt deserves it. The guy in the blue shirt doesn't. Same thing that they were going through as far as the exposure to the, uh, the this, this defoliant, this chemical, which is known to cause significant health issues, and the VA is just treating two groups of people exposed to the same thing in very different ways for no good reason other than arguably to save some money maybe i mean is that what you think most of these issues are about that it's you know yeah we'd like to help everybody with everything but it's not cheap to do that and we got to figure out where we can spend money and where we can't is that where the va makes most of these arbitrary and capricious decisions basically unfortunately it is it's about um balancing the budget and frankly the our view is uh, we've already paid it forward, right? We signed that check and it was cashable up into our lives. And frankly, we have I have friends who who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Um, you know, we have Vietnam vets who are suffering and dying for a lot of these conditions and are being denied the benefits that they've earned. Yeah. Um, so that's not a, an acceptable excuse for us. Uh, glad to see that that we're making progress. The Senate won't be allowed to to deny. Right. And and we're going to hold them accountable. Well, and seeing it go through the House basically unopposed, which is almost never happens. That almost never happens. If there is disagreement, it's typically greater in, con- in the House of Reps than it is in the Senate because the House of Reps, you have a far number greater of delegates. You have a far number greater of opinions, people coming from a little bit more extreme positions on both the left and the right that make it into the House of Reps than do in the Senate generally. So seeing it get through there, 
does that mean that we should expect this to get through? I mean, I know we talked to Gary Augustine, head of DAV, the other day. He is uh, cautiously optimistic, are the words that he used, I believe. Is that how you feel as well, or do you think this is essentially a done deal? Nothing is guaranteed, but I'll tell you, we'll fight uh, tooth and nail to make sure it gets done. And that's what the VFW's legislative office is doing. Their legislative director, Carlos Fuentes, has been joining us here on the morning briefing this Friday edition. Carlos, we're no, by no means close to done with uh, fighting for veterans' issues and rights legislatively. Yes, there's been a lot of great movement, but even if all these wonderful things go through, there's going to be more to come. You are not going to be out of a job anytime soon, Carlos Fuentes, because these issues are going to continue. If people want to find out about the work that the VFW is doing and about their opinions on legislation, where do people go to do that? Please join us at VFW.org. Um, you'll find out about our programs and also what we're doing on Capitol Hill to fight for veterans and make sure that uh, Congress delivers on its promise. And just like all of the VSOs, Carlos isn't just working diligently for VFW members. He's working for all veterans. And on behalf of all veterans and being a VFW member myself, I want to thank Carlos for the work that he's doing. And I want to thank you to listening to this Friday edition of The Morning Briefing. And a big thanks to our guests. Of course, we replayed our interview with Chef Rush due to popular demand. Some people missed it. 24-inch biceps cooking at the White House. You can find out more about him by following him on social media. Of course, Leo Shane from Military times that was great talking to him for the first time i think we're gonna have to do that again maybe even regularly and of course carlos fuentes from vfw again their website vfw.org all right that ends the friday show have a great and safe weekend and we will see you here again on monday have a great weekend bye t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.